Good evening. Please do be seated. Last week, if you remember, we finished our series through Exodus. So this week, we're coming back to our series in John. That's why we read from John chapter 9. It would be great if you could open your Bibles again to John chapter 9. It was on page 1067, page 1067, John chapter 9. And if we found that, shall we pray? Almighty God, we pray now that in your grace and in your mercy, you would help us to open your word and work by that word in our hearts to change us by your spirit. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as some of you here know, some of you particularly well, I come originally from the UK. Now, the UK is in the middle of leaving the European Union in something they call Brexit. Now, sometimes you meet Brits and they tell you that Brexit is an absolutely brilliant thing, the right decision, they will support it as much as possible. Sometimes you meet Brits who tell you that Brexit is a disaster, a bad decision. They would do anything they could to stop it. But I tell you who you mostly meet. You mostly meet Brits who try to sit on the fence. They might lean a little bit one way or the other, but they will not commit to either side. They certainly will not make strong statements in support of one way or the other. And actually, for Brits, Sitting on the fence is the ideal place because it means you can grumble about people on both sides and still be right. But it's not just Brits that want to do that, is it? We all try to avoid committing ourselves to significant positions if we can help it. But there is one thing that you cannot fence sit about, and that is Jesus. You have to make up your mind about Jesus. Everyone has to. Either he is God who has come to save his people, and so you follow him and worship him gladly, or you reject him as a blasphemer and a sinner who is misleading them. And Jesus is going to push you to come down on one side or the other. In fact, part of this passage here is Jesus pushing the people to divide over whether they will follow him with all that means or reject him with what that means as well. It all starts, verse 1, with a deliberate chance encounter as Jesus sees this man blind from birth. His disciples ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? think we can get where they're coming from, can't we? Because there are examples in Old and New Testament of people who, who are sent sickness because of their own sins. But very often we see in both Old and New Testament people who are sick, and it has nothing to do with their individual sin. And actually that is the case here. As Jesus says, 
it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Have you ever imagined what the man might have been thinking as he heard Jesus say those words to his disciples? This is a man who has spent his entire life so far blind, sitting and begging in first century Jerusalem. It will have been really hard. But now he hears from this Jesus that somehow there was a purpose to it all. He isn't being punished, not for his sins, not for those of his parents. In fact, there is a reason for it all, which is somehow so wonderful and important that it makes all the suffering worth it. And the reason is that the works of God might be displayed in him. Why is that so important? You see, this is an important, essential part of what Jesus is doing in his ministry amongst them in the flesh. As he spends time among the people, he does the Father's works to reveal that he is the Son of Man. He is the Christ, the Savior, so that people might see and believe and have life in his name. And you see, that means it has to happen now while he is with them in the flesh. As he explains, and this is verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It is a picture of daytime when you can work and nighttime when you can't. And it is daytime all the time that the light is there. All the time that Jesus is with them, the light of the world, it is time to do these works that reveal him from the Father. Because a time will come when he will not be with them, when he will be crucified and rise and ascend, and when it will be a time of darkness, when this kind of work will not be done anymore. It means the work must be done now. It's important, and it is. Picture with me the scene. Jesus spits on the ground. He makes mud from the dirt and he anoints the man's eyes with the mud. Go wash in the pool of Siloam, he says. And the man goes and he washes and then he comes back able to see. It is a very impressive sign. As the man himself will confess later, never since the world began had it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind, much less with mud and saliva. It is an impressive sign, but it is also a very divisive sign. And the rest of our passage, and in fact part of the next, will be filled with people dividing because of that sign, because this is a sign that is going to force people to make up their mind about Jesus one way or the other. And we'll see that as group after group are confronted with Jesus by this sign. The first group are the man's neighbors, verse 8. It's a shock to them. They're clearly struggling to come to terms with it. And so they ask each other, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some say, it is he. Others, no, but, but it, it, he's like him. And all the while the man is saying, I am the man. And so they ask the obvious question, then how were your eyes opened? And he says, the man called Jesus 
made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash so I washed and received my sight. Where is he? And he says, I do not know. Well, there is no newfound confession of faith in them, is there? They do not fall on their faces and worship Jesus, do they? But I don't think we should be too hard on them. True, these neighbors have not committed one way or another to Christ yet, but they also don't really know enough to make that kind of decision, do they? The man has told them all he knows. The man called Jesus did such and such a thing, but that's hardly enough to start worshiping Jesus as the Son of God, is it? And it might be that there are some people who are here today who are a little bit like that. Perhaps you've started to realize there is something very special about this Jesus. Perhaps you've been coming to church for a few weeks. You've been hearing sermons about him. You're starting to be amazed with him, but you don't yet know enough to commit your life to him. And that might be you. If that is you, then keep coming back. Keep looking in the word. Keep finding this Jesus. Um, and look at some of the courses that are open. There's courses like Life Explored designed to help you to encounter Jesus that you might believe and have life in his name. Other thing I want to say is if that is you, then you are a lot better off than the next group we are about to meet because the neighbors are about to bring Jesus to see the Pharisees. And the Pharisees have very much made up their mind about Jesus, and they have made up their mind to reject him entirely. So the Pharisees are told about the sign Jesus has done, the impressive sign, and even they are almost divided. It's hard to argue with a sign, but there's no way they're going to confess Jesus. So they start to look for a way to undermine it. They ask the man, how, how did this happen? So the man starts to explain how Jesus made mud, and he put mud on his eyes. Ha-ha, they've got him. It's a Sabbath day. Jesus has made mud on the Sabbath and anointed his eyes. They think, aha, Jesus must be a sinner because he has worked on the Sabbath. He can't be from God if he's a sinner, can he? But I think even they realize how weak that argument is. Even some of their own questions saying, but how can a man who is a sinner do these things? Well, the man himself shines here. He answers the questions that are put well, and then instead of backing off a little bit from Jesus, he actually becomes a little bit bolder in what he says. Verse 17, they say to him, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? And he says, he is a prophet. It's not a confession that he is the son of God, the Christ, not, not yet, but it's a big step from saying the man called Jesus. And it's bad news for the Pharisees, isn't it? Their attempts to discredit Jesus are actually backfiring. And so now they turn their attack on the sign. Can they shed doubt on whether the sign really happened? So they summon the people who would know. They summon his parents and ask them, verse 18, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answer shrewdly. We know that this is our son and he was born blind, but 
How he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. The answer's diplomatic, isn't it? They've confirmed this is the son who was born blind, who now sees, but they've wriggled out of saying anything about Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's because they don't know anything about Jesus. But that's not so. They wriggled out because they knew if they confessed Jesus, then they would be put out of the synagogue. We see it plainly from verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Now, our parents are always close to our hearts, aren't they? That's why if we see our parents not trusting in Christ, it can be very hard for us. And that is actually what we are seeing here. These parents have seen the wonderful work of God in their son. They've seen Jesus, the Christ, but they will not get off the fence. And they end up denying him by their silence. And it all comes down to their hearts. For despite what they know about Jesus, actually their hearts love something else more. They love their place in the synagogue, their standing in the community, the respect they have from friends and family. When they realize that confessing Jesus would mean being treated like a sinner and a tax collector and being put out, they refuse. I think we can understand them a little bit, though, can't we? Because I know there are sometimes times, even for believers, when there are things that try to pull our hearts away from confessing Christ, aren't there? Very often things about other people. Maybe we fear what our family might say, or how would it affect our, our old and our dear friendships if they know we've stood up as one of Jesus' people, or, or what our spouse might think. I know when we're thinking like this, we have the same temptation. We have the temptation to back away, to wriggle out of standing up as one of his disciples. But I urge you, don't be like the parents of the man born blind, because they are the sad story of this passage. They were so close to salvation, yet in the end, they allowed their hearts to keep them from hearing his voice and following him. There is a positive in their story, of course. They did manage to keep their seats in the synagogue. So there is that. Meanwhile, the Pharisees are no further in discrediting Jesus, are they? So they turn back to the man. The strategy now is to pressure him a little bit more, to call Jesus a sinner and discredit Jesus. Verse 24, they say, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. It starts off beautifully, doesn't it? Give glory to God, and so the man should for what God has done for him. But then it turns to ugly hypocrisy. We know this man is a sinner. They're trying to make the poor man decide between God and Jesus as if that were possible. And in so doing, do you notice it's not just blasphemy? It is not just robbing God of the glory due to him. It is trying to pull this man away from Jesus. Beware of that kind of hypocrite. Twisted people who will even use the name of God to try to pull people away 
from his son. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. But thanks be to God, they cannot shake the faith of this man born blind. He stands firm, even faced with their so-called authority and power and wisdom. He will not back down. He holds fast to Christ. In fact, he goes further. He speaks truth to power. He confesses in their face what the Lord has done. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know, he says. But one thing I do know, that though I was born, that though I was blind, now I see. And dear brothers and sisters, if he knows so little, but can speak so boldly, how much more could we, who know so much more about Christ and what he has done for us, how much more could we speak boldly of him? Are we telling others of what the Lord has done for us? Are we telling even those who don't really want to hear? Because make no mistake, these Pharisees do not want to hear the truth. The truth threatens them, and it is why they want to condemn Jesus. They carry on their attack. They say, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And I'm sure it is a trap. I'm sure they're waiting to hear the man again say, well, he made mud. And then they would leap up and jump up and down like a pack of wild dogs and howl about how Jesus is a sinner, and they'd bathe for his blood. But the man is having none of it. In a marvelous answer, he says, and this is verse 27, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? who, having seen that blind beggar before, would have dreamt that he would now be speaking in such a way to the Pharisees, even confessing to be one of Christ's disciples. Clearly, this man could not care less about what these wicked leaders think or say or might do, can he? His heart is so firmly set on Jesus that nothing and nobody is going to shake it. And he's also right about them, isn't he? He realizes that their hearts are now blind. They don't want to find out if Jesus is a Christ because they're thinking of following him. There's no chance of that. They have blinded themselves to the truth that is right in their face. And as if to prove the point, the very next thing the Pharisees do is turn themselves to attack the man born blind personally. They revile him, saying, You are his disciple. But we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. It is both vicious and it is wrong. If they were disciples of Moses, they would believe in Jesus because Moses spoke of him. That's for not knowing where Jesus comes from. The very sign is the testimony that he does come from God. That's why they're so upset, isn't it? Now, I think this man, in another life, would have been an excellent lawyer. Because at this point, he sums up the case for Jesus wonderfully. Verse 30, he says to them, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. 
Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And he's right, isn't he? If only the eyes of their hearts were not blind, it would be clear. They would see and believe and have life in his name. But they don't. They only get more furious. They call the man a sinner born in utter sin, and they cast him out. Now, let me tell you, being cast out of the synagogue in those days was a serious matter. It meant being excluded from the community of God's people. It meant being treated like the dregs of society, like an outcast. It meant people would look down on you as a kind of person you don't want to be a friend of. But it was the very best thing that happened to this man born blind. Yes, he was kicked out of their assembly. But Jesus was outside of their assembly as well. And outside of their assembly is where Jesus meets him. Do you believe in the Son of Man, he says. And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he says, Lord, I believe, and he worships him. It's the highlight of our passage, isn't it? He was once blind, but now he sees not just physically, he sees spiritually his Savior, the Son of Man, the Christ, and he worships him. He knows the hope of Israel and has life in his name. Apart from Jesus, this man is the hero of the story, isn't he? And now this man born blind is safe with Jesus, his good shepherd who knows his own. Both the proud hypocritical leaders find themselves excluded, cut off from both father and son by their blind unbelief. We see how Jesus forces the people to divide. As he says, verse 13, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. The Pharisees overhear it, and they ask him, Are we also blind? To which he says, verse 41, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Do you see? You cannot sit on the fence about Jesus. He will force you to decide in the end, either that he is God who came to save his people and you worship and follow him, or you reject him as a blasphemer and you reject along with him the salvation he comes to bring. We'll hear more about that salvation next week, is Jesus is going to carry on talking to these same Pharisees, using the picture of himself as a good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. It's to be a picture of what he is about to do on the cross for his people, how he loves them so much, he will take their sins upon himself that they might have life in his name. 
how he will lay down his life that all who believe in him, not just those who believe him in him almost from the beginning, like this man born blind, but even for those who have rejected him at first and, and later come to believe in him, that all who believe in him may have eternal life in his name. So, dear brothers and sisters, don't be like the Pharisees with their blind hearts rejecting Jesus. Don't be like the parents with those fearful hearts trying to stay on the fence. Be like the man born blind. Believe in Jesus and so receive from Jesus life, abundant and eternal life in his name. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your very, very great love towards us sinners by which you sent your Son into the world, to whom you testified by many signs, who you sent to the cross to bear our sins, that in love he would lay down his life, that we might be forgiven and have life in his name. Pray, Almighty Father, that you would soften the hardness of our hearts and open our eyes to see him, renew our faith and our trust in him, turn us to keep relying on him and his cross. We pray, Father, that if there are those among us today who, who have been rejecting and denying him, that even today you would work by your Spirit to open their eyes that they too with sharing the blessings of eternal life. And we pray it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.